Hey everybody, it's Jeremy Allen here. I hosted season one and season three of Shattered. And today on Shattered, we're bringing you the story of Joyce Dixon Haskett. This is part one. We're going to release part two tomorrow. Joyce's story is part of a longer series I've been producing for the TV station WDIV in Detroit. And it's all about human trafficking. As I learned more and more about this terrifying and very, very real underworld, I met and interviewed some amazing people working to do something about this global crisis. And so many of those people I met, they told me that I had to meet Joyce Dixon Haskett. Her story is more dynamic and dramatic than a Hollywood script, but there's nothing fake about her. It's a heavy subject, but I can still say that I'm excited to share her story with you because I think it will inspire. A quick warning, what you're about to hear is a graphic discussion about real-life events. Some might find the topic manner triggering or upsetting. Listener discretion is advised. I was seven and I felt something happen. And I thought, nothing bad will ever happen to me. No one will ever hurt me. Because I've got Jesus. The very next week, I was molested. I remember lying there in all that pain and thinking, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? Where's Mama? Where's anybody? And the worst part about it is there was a room full of people 15 feet away, or less. Not long ago, I started working on a series of human trafficking stories for WDIV-TV in Detroit, hoping to highlight some of the truly heroic work being done by some of the bravest people around. People offering safe houses and support for survivors of this absolutely horrific crime. The world of human trafficking is extremely dark, and I'll admit that I'm still learning the depth of it all. Just to give you an idea of the scope of how widespread it is, the Polaris Project, which tracks trafficking statistics, says that in 2018, there were nearly 11,000 cases of human trafficking, and 23,000 survivors identified. And those were the ones that were reported. So many go unreported. There was a 25% jump from the 2017 numbers. It's an issue that unfortunately is growing, but the public awareness is also growing, which is not bad. But those are just numbers. To tell you the story of human trafficking, you need to hear what it's actually like. As I was reporting, meeting all of these amazing people that are trying to stop human trafficking, almost all of them kept saying Joyce's name. They would tell me how amazing she is, how inspirational. So I started reading about her. I started to learn why people continued to talk about her with such admiration. But it wasn't until I sat across from her, face to face, and listened to her tell her story, that I really realized what strength and perseverance was all about. Um... I grew up in Saginaw, Michigan. Um, it was 
difficult. It was tough. Um, I never knew who my father was. So that was a hard adjustment because, you know, I got all the names. You know, I never knew what bastard meant until um, I got older. My grandmother never had a house that wasn't big enough for all of us, my mother, my brother, and me, because she knew we'd end up there, functioning alcoholics, and um, violence, domestic, a lot of domestic violence. So it's amazing how these things follow you. My grandfather beat my grandmother. My mother's men beat her. When I got older, my men beat me, and it was the norm rather than the exception. In her early life, she only saw one way for women to live, and it was demoralizing. But she would find a source of inspiration in an unlikely place. I remembered when I was seven, and there was a carnival across the street from my grandmother's house. And it was free. So they had the, um, you know, the, the merry-go-rounds and they had the um, Ferris wheels and all those things. And we were excited. So I remember asking my grandmother if I could go. And she said, yeah, 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 go. So I went to the carnival and this preacher guy says, well, you kids can play on the merry-go-round and all that kind of stuff. But first, you have to listen to what I have to say. Well, we're seven. We didn't really want to hear it, but <laughs> we knew we had to. But what was so interesting was that he started to talk about this man named Jesus. I had never heard anyone talked about the way he talked about that man. And when he got done, I didn't want to stay at the carnival. I remember going to my grandmother's house. I went back home and sat on her old three-piece sectional, you know, the, the kind where the good pieces were covered in plastic. I remembered sitting there and I was like, Jesus, 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 come into my life. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It was amazing. Religion became Joyce's haven. And I thought, nothing bad will ever happen to me. No one will ever hurt me because I've got Jesus. The very next week, I was molested. One Friday night, her family had some people over to play cards, have some drinks. It was late. Joyce was young, so she was already sleeping. And I wake up in the middle of the night, and a man is sitting on the end of my bed, one hand over my mouth, his other hand in my pajamas. And what I remembered was that he had very large hands, and you'd better not tell. You're going to get in trouble. You're going to get a whipping. I remember laying there, and somewhere in his excitement, he must have forgotten where his hand was because now it wasn't over my mouth. It was over my nose and my mouth. I couldn't breathe. 
And I remember lying there in all that pain and thinking, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? Where's mama? Where's anybody? And the worst part about it is there was a room full of people 15 feet away or less. And it gets worse because this was what I had to look forward to every Friday night for as long as he was a friend of the family. And it bothered me that no one ever asked why it was that whenever he went to the bathroom, he had to go through my room. And I didn't tell because he told me I better not tell because I was going to get in trouble, you know. And of course, it was my fault, right? Because if it wasn't my fault, then Jesus wouldn't have let it happen. That's the mindset of a seven-year-old. There's something about being molested at such an early age that, I don't know, it's like this aura that's always with you. Any chance for healthy self-esteem is destroyed before it's ever been able to develop. So I grew up promiscuous, so to speak. Um, and it wasn't that I was trying to be. I remembered being molested by friends of the family, family members, deacons in the church. Yeah, we got problems in our churches. So you really don't know how to deal with what's going on with you because you cannot identify it. You just know it's wrong. You don't know why it's wrong. You know you feel bad about yourself. You feel bad about everybody around you. And I think what makes it even more difficult is that the people who are supposed to love you and nurture you, take care of you, protect you, they didn't. And and so you wonder why no one ever asked you, asked you, What's the matter? Or you don't smile like you used to. You don't laugh like you used to. Nobody asks. And in my house, everybody was too busy thinking about themselves. Joyce just wanted someone to invest in her, someone to show that they cared. She says that she was having sex regularly by age 14, thinking maybe that would lead to love. I was the girl that all the guys wanted to be with, but nobody wanted to take home to meet their mother. That was me. Pregnant at 16 with my first child. Pregnant at 18 with the second one, different fathers. I was out there trying to find my place, trying to find where I fit. I just didn't fit anywhere. But what I learned is that it's not love that you're looking for, it's validation. Everybody needs to be validated. 
And that's what I was looking forward to. You know, I spent most of my life waiting for other people to make me good enough. They won't. They won't. Joyce was searching for happiness and purpose. She went to school and got a job, but... Just nothing worked. Had boyfriend, nothing worked for me. And one day, I meet him. She doesn't identify him, but at the time, Joyce thought he was just what she needed. Comes up in his fancy car and girls and money and tells me I'm beautiful and buys me designer clothes and fancy shoes and takes me to fancy restaurants. All of a sudden, someone's paying good attention to me. Took money and liquor to my mother and grandmother. They loved him. But shortly after the honeymoon was over, found myself getting up, you know, get, getting off the floor and getting up off the floor for saying things like I thought. <laughs> Bitch, you don't think. I think for you. What? <laughs> you love me, right? <laughs> you know, the beatings, the... the lack of support from family. And you know what's interesting is that I would show up at my mother's house all beaten up and be like, well, what do you keep doing to this man to make him do this to you? And, and if you leave him, what about us? He's good to us. Oh my goodness. That was my support system. And while they were on one side of town talking about how much they love him, he was on another side of town saying things like, go ahead and leave and you'll come to your mama's funeral or go ahead and leave and I'll have those two bastards of yours turned out in a week. And you think about the people you love and, and you're trying to figure out how you got into this. And in human trafficking, there are usually three elements, the force, the fraud, the coercion. And you understand early that the first thing you do with the fraud is you buy into the lie. You buy into the lie that he loves me. A lot of our girls do this. He loves me. Oh, I'm going to be a model. Oh, I'm going to be a dancer. The promises. That's the fraud. Then there is the force, the beatings. But you learn after a while that they're only going to beat you so much because you got to work. It's the coercion that gets you. That's why I hate it when people ask that stupid question about why didn't you just leave? You could have just left. Well, I'm going to tell you why. Because when people like that say things to you like, they're going to hurt your mother, or I'll have your kids turned out, or um, I'm going to do something to hurt someone in your family. When you know that this threat has been made by someone who could easily do it with no remorse at all, that's the kind of thing that will make you drive across the state, meet dates, turn tricks, get all the money, do it with no ID, and come back and bring every cent back. They take your ID. They take you know, anything that identifies you because you are no longer a person. You are now a product, and you belong to them. 
She was feeling less than human, beaten down. But one incident pushed her over the edge. All of a sudden, appointments are being made for me in hotel rooms. Now, promiscuity is one thing, because at least you have a choice. But you never know who's waiting for you on the other side of those hotel rooms, those doors. You don't know who's waiting for you. In this one instance, there were three guys waiting for me. And they had already talked about what they were going to do to me. And I'm there, and it's all three men, and they they're doing terrible things to me. I mean, heinous things, degrading things. And they're laughing. And I remember laying there in so much pain. And I remember praying, God, please help me. Please help me. Then I thought, why in the world would God want to help you, you nasty thing? And so what you do is you try to dissociate, but there's nowhere to go. So you lay there and you wait for it to be over. And you hope that when it's over, you can get up. And if you can get up, you get up and you go to the bathroom and you clean yourself up. You act like it was no big deal. And then you get ready for the next thing. But this night, Joyce couldn't clean up. She couldn't get ready for the next thing. I was the entertainment at a party. And they stripped me naked, stood me in the middle of a bed, and beat me with pool sticks. The wager was how many licks I could take before I went down. Um, so they beat me. Finally, the stick was broken across my head. I thought it was over. He called for another stick. And he started to beat me with that stick. And I remember going down. I couldn't see, but I could hear. And I heard someone say, you have to kill her. You can't take her to the hospital because they're gonna ask too many questions. I remember praying again, God, please don't let someone read to my children that they found their mother naked, dead, face down and in a ditch. And I heard the guy say, I can't kill her. So they wrapped me up in a sheet like a mummy, put me in the back seat of a car, drove me to a hospital and threw me on the back dock like a bag of garbage. I was out there for about three hours, I guess. A maintenance man found me, took me in. One person asked me one time what happened to me, once. And when I didn't tell, nobody asked again. So what I learned later was that when somebody asks you a question like that, then they're required to do something. People don't want to do anything. So to justify not doing anything, they say things like, well, this is the life she chose. That's par for the course, and she could have just left. So I was in that hospital for 13 days. When I got ready to leave, guess who they released me to? To him. And I couldn't take it anymore. I knew that if he didn't kill me, someone in the streets was going to kill me. So I decided that my only way out was to kill him. 
next time. So I get a gun. Sadly enough, you can get you can get one anywhere. So I got a gun, took it back to the house, hid it in an upstairs bathroom that he didn't use. Waited for my opportunity, came downstairs. Was stretched out on the sofa. Joyce is standing there, gun in hand, hovering over his body. The next move meant life or death. And you can hear what happens next in part two. Log on to clickondetroit.com to see more on this story and our series, Stop the Trafficking. Until next time.